welcome to How Fitting, the podcast about creating fashion and growing a business that fits your customer, your lifestyle, and your values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. So today I'm joined by Laura Fisher of Revival. So welcome to the show, Laura. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. For those who are listening, who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, well, I have a clothing company called Revival Clothing uh, with two L's, and I started it in 2008. I have always used dead stock and reclaimed fabric. Um, That is a a core value of my brand and I currently live in Bozeman, Montana and uh, have a showroom and a studio here and I am having my stuff made by a lot of local women. I have a couple of women in Eugene, Oregon and then I have some Hooterite women and um, yeah everything's made by hand right here in the U.S. Wow, it's so cool. And like looking at um, your website and kind of seeing the pieces and everything, um, there's a lot I want to ask you about. So uh, (laughs) first of all, I guess, like what is your background and like what kind of what brought you into fashion and doing what you do now? Well, I learned how to sew from my grandma when I was really small. I like to tell people that we started making Beanie Babies before Beanie Babies were a thing. We would make (laughs) these little frogs and fill them with rice and we would put a solid color on top of the frog and then a pattern underneath and that was I think really when I started getting excited about mixing and matching fabrics and Mm -hmm. Then I went to college uh, for animal science because I really wanted to have a farm and lots of animals. And um, at some point, I started becoming more of a hippie and I was making (laughs) patchwork clothing to sell uh, in the lots of shows. And I kind of just rediscovered my love of sewing and making things and mixing and matching fabrics and patterns and decided I wanted to go to fashion school. So after I got my degree in animal science, I went to FIT in New York and I did this really amazing program that they have. It's a one-year program. It's two years condensed into one. So if you already have your core classes, you can apply to be in this program. And, um, you know, this was before Etsy. This was before Project Runway. It was really before there was even a possibility Uh, for people to make a living off of being an independent clothing designer but I Mm -hmm. would sell my stuff at the flea market in um, the East Village and I I knew 
that it was possible. I think I've always really loved this direct-to-consumer business model. Um, so then, I don't know, I just, I really got, um, what's the word, uh, disillusioned by the fashion mm -hmm. industry and decided to give it up. And I went to New Orleans after Katrina and uh, helped run a relief kitchen there and saw how much clothing was being donated. And it was a realization that people, it was easier for people to donate clothes than food. Mm -hmm. And I really started recognizing, well, I'd recognized it before, but it really hit home how much waste we consume in the fashion industry. So I started sewing again there and then ended up moving to Eugene. And I've had a few different clothing companies, but Revival started in 2008. So I guess long story short, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. And it's so interesting. I think like the path that people take to get to their fashion, like everyone has like their own unique backstory. And I think it's like super interesting of like all the little things that led to where things are today. And yeah, so you yeah. said, oh yeah, go ahead. Oh, I just... I think that a lot of people think that they have to start a clothing brand with um, sketches and drawings and business plans and, and all of that. And I just am here to tell people that that's not true. You can just start making stuff and mm -hmm. selling it. I mean, we have so many avenues to to do that these days makes it really accessible mm -hmm. yeah so it sounds like you kind of did just that where you just jumped in and started making things rather than like did you know like you wanted to start a clothing brand or were you just you know like you said making things and people were like oh I want to buy that um I I think I just started making things and it was kind of, it was kind of like if you're sewing the most, um, let's see, I'm, I'm a very, I, I like immediate gratification <laughs> <laughs> and so quilting or anything like that was never going to be something that I would be able to pursue and I think of a lot of things that could be sewn but for me I started sewing and making things because I wanted to wear them and a huge part of it was that especially with revival I I couldn't find things that um really allowed me to present myself in the world in a style that was already being created. I mean, I could find thrift store things or some vintage items, but I, the things I wanted to wear were kind of all in my head. So mm -hmm. 
I really started making stuff for myself and um, back to that direct-to-consumer market, like doing shows or flea markets, you you get a lot of information from that and feedback and what people like and don't like. And um, yeah. 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 And I think that's so key. That's something I'm always talking about is like, it's so much easier to make clothes when you know who you're making them for <laughs> and like really get to know the people, you know, whether that's your yourself and like, you're obviously if you're making you know, if you are your customer, you're intimately uh, aware of all the challenges or, you know, wishes or needs um, that you have for your clothing. But yeah, being able to talk to other people too and just hear their comments or feedback or frustrations about clothing. So I'm assuming then you found that there were lots of other people that felt the same as you or were looking for that same kind of style that you weren't finding. Well, it's funny because my my style has changed a lot. And um, I've always made clothes for people that don't mind attention. <laughs> Usually if people are wearing my clothes they're getting compliments and people want to talk about what they're wearing um so I and then my style really changed kind of as I changed and I when I moved to Montana I was making things that I was making dresses out of men's shirts and they Mm. were all one of a kind um I was making the overalls, but I was not finding large amounts of fabric to make them out of. So I was kind of running into this challenge where everything was was one off or maybe five in a run. And people, you do all this work photographing and listing Mm -hmm. and trying to market and then somebody wants that, but in a different size, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was having a, I was having a tough time trying to figure out how I was going to grow my business. And then when I found the dead stock fabric, that was, um, that was a huge moment so that I could still be able to stick with my ethos of reusing but be able to make many items out of one particular fabric but when I moved to Montana I I did a show and it was terrible it was like (laughs) five days and nobody was buying anything and it was it was really really challenging and I remember calling my friend and kind of having a breakdown like I think I'm gonna have to get a job again because uh, like nobody's buying my stuff Mm -hmm. and kind of right after that I had someone tell me to focus on doing my website to forget about Etsy forget about doing shows, focus on online sales. And so it was a 
mixture of doing that. And I had a gal. Uh, she is on Instagram. I think she's Fireheart Shepherdess now. She's a shepherdess in Oregon. And she had bought a pair of wool overalls. And she posted about them a lot because she loved them so much. And that is when my business really took off because I didn't even know there was such a large community of homesteaders and herbalists and Mm. women who really resonated with this kind of back to the land lifestyle. And as soon as I, and, and so I got a bunch of followers and, and, interest and sales from that and once I knew that that person was out there that was when I really started making stuff for her which turns out is me too but I never (laughs) uh, really identified that if that makes sense Mm -hmm. I kind of thought I was more like alternative cowgirl (laughs) (laughs) and um, yeah so it was once I once I realized who my customer was, like you said before, that was when I really started making more of that style. Yeah, that's so interesting and like cool to see how it's like it sounds like it just kind of clicked with the right, like the right group of people um, it resonated with because totally. you know, somebody who loved it shared it. Um and then kind of found found that group of people. So I'm curious, like what, and I can see it a little bit looking at your clothes, but people listening, like, so what what is it kind of about your brand and the pieces you that you think really resonated with that group of women? Yeah. <laughs> um, I... I think that I balance a kind of simplistic design approach with practicality. Um, practicality in my clothing is is first and foremost. Everything has pockets. Um, I use a lot of wool and natural fibers. Um, Mm-hmm. I think that's a that's a huge thing. I mean, I I do live in Montana, so people in Florida or Texas say may not buy a lot of the wool stuff, but there's really not a lot of people out there that are making um, clothing out of wool and natural fibers that are reminiscent of a simpler time and I think that's really where my niche is I I really Mm -hmm. think a lot about um the history of of clothes and the fact that people would only have maybe three outfits so it had to be something that they could wear on a daily basis and it was their uniform, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I really try to, to stay away from fads and stick with um, things that are just classics. And um, they do have kind of a historic 
physical feeling to them, some of them, and, and some of it's more like a 70s historical, like even the the gunny sacks kind of prairie renaissance that happened in the 70s. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so some of it's 70s and some of it's got like a 1900s feel <laughs> and some of it has like a 1950s. It's just, I, I focus on the simplistic but classic and... Um, yeah, I just always say reminiscent of a simpler time. Like, I, I just feel like our world is so complicated <laughs> these days, but it we've is. made it that way. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's a question I have, too, is, um, like, I had seen kind of on your website talking about how revival encourages a simpler way of life. So how do you balance that, like, in your business and, like, just, even being online as a business or on social media as a business, I feel like is kind of, you know, like participating in the fast pacedness of kind of the modern world. And so I'm curious how you balance that with a more simpler way of life. Like it's, yeah, it, like they can be kind of opposites. Um, yeah. I think it's like, it can be easy for it to be counter to simplistic Uh, things and so yeah how do you balance that um it's hard Mm -hmm. um I feel a lot of pressure to continue to participate in the social media aspect of things in order to stay relevant you know Mm -hmm. um but whenever I am feeling that pressure I really try to not create any content then I try Mm. to really as much as I can reach inward and um into my my heart and my values and what I really want to say and create content from that place um instead of a oh my God, I got to create a reel today. I haven't created a reel in five days and people are going to forget about me and then I'm not going to make sales this month. You know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I think I'm, I have been living in town and I was telling people that, you know, I've always wanted to live out in the country and I have at different points in my life, but I had been living in town uh, the past four or five years and I kept feeling like I wasn't, that wasn't authentically me and it was hard to be creating content from that place because a lot of my customers, it was like I was trying to put on a, put on a show, you know, and pretend Mm -hmm that I was living this lifestyle that I wish that I was living. And I had to really get honest with myself. I think I try to be really authentic and honest with my followers and my customers. And uh, my husband and I finally found a place and moved out of town last month. And 
So now I, I think it's a lot easier for me to come from that uh, simpler way of life because I am blessed to be on 10 acres with my horses and I don't want to go into town anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, we saw, I saw two moose yesterday and some elk in my backyard and that, I mean, that's the life that I've always wanted to be living. And I think it is definitely a lot easier to, um, it's, it's a lot easier for me to be slower and more simple when I'm doing this. But I also really recognize that a lot of people don't have that option. You know, there are a lot mm-hmm. of my customers that are living in town, are living in a fast-paced lifestyle. And so I think from a business perspective, I... I really just try to get quiet with myself as much as possible so that I am um, just trying to slow down, you know, it's, it's, it's a really difficult balance to, to strike for sure. Yeah, I bet. It sounds like though you're very intentional, like you're very aware of what you value and the things that like you want for your life and for your business. And then you're very intentional about like making sure that aligns with what you're actually doing, which is really cool. Um, Yeah. I think intention living with intention is probably my, my motto (laughs) in (laughs) life. And I just, I really encourage people who are dreaming up something big or wanting something for themselves, I think, you know, really getting as clear as you can with yourself and knowing yourself and knowing what you want and knowing what your intentions are and just being really purposeful about the life that you live is, is really helpful. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the slowness, and then you also mentioned that, like, reusable materials or, like, using dead stock is really important to you. Are there other kind of values, either of revival or just how you run your business personally, um, that are important to the brand? I think something that is really important for me is that is in the way that I see beauty in people. Um, I I really like to highlight and use models that have um, a different sort of beauty and not this, uh, what we're being shown in Um, the marketing world is what is Mm -hmm. considered quote-unquote beautiful. I I really, I I believe that there's beauty in everything. And I also believe that beauty isn't always the most important thing. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I have a friend that is so magnetic and people are just drawn to her. And I think she's stunning, but she 
has a very different look, you know, and I, I asked her once about how beautiful she was or something. And she said, Oh, I've, I've never felt beautiful. (laughs) And I said, well, where do you get your confidence from? I was just, I was so confused. And she said, because I'm, I'm capable. I'm a capable person that can do things like I can make sourdough. I can pick up heavy bags of feed. I can, you know, and it it was a real moment of realizing that beauty isn't always such an important thing that we tend to focus on. And Mm-hmm. I like to really highlight all different shapes and sizes of women, all different skin tones of women. Um, I just think that I I really value everyone and not just putting forward a a vision of beauty that is kind of boring at this point, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and I think your clothes, even, you know, you've talked about kind of the function is super important with them too, of like the, the appearance or like the beauty is not the only important part of them, like what they can do and what, yeah. how they, <laughs> you know, how they um, can, yeah, kind of equip you in your life is, is you know, oftentimes more, like, much more important, um, which is really, really fun to see. Like, I always like it when my clothes not just look cool, but also feel good and are what I need for whatever I'm doing that day. And, um, yes. That's mm-hmm. so, I love that you you said that because I I, that is such a huge part of my belief system and what I'm doing you know I I believe that and, and femininity I think I think there's such I know that there's such power in femininity and I think that a lot of women have believed that they need to kind of not maybe dress like a man to like work in a man's world if it's Mm a female electrician or construction worker or even farmer and I'm trying to make clothes that can be practically worn in those same environments but are clothes that a man well Men can wear my clothes too. That would be fantastic. But a quote unquote a cis traditional type man would not choose mm-hmm. to wear because I think that there's something really powerful in femininity and being able to do your farm chores and still feel feminine is um, is a blessing and. Mm-hmm. I really, I value, I value that. I always say women 
historically did everything that men did except in a dress or a skirt, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think making things that are practical. And I also, I love making things that women feel powerful in, you know? I just, mm. my biggest goal is that when people put on my clothes, they feel like their most powerful self and whatever that looks like, you know? And, and if that is something from target or something, you know, I I just want people to really understand how powerful they are. So I think clothing can be a really important part of showing up in the world in your power like that. Mm -hmm. I agree. Can be pretty, uh, pretty important. Like clothes seem to be, you know, the stereotype is very kind of superficial, but I think clothes and just how we choose clothes and what we choose to wear um, can be very, have a big effect on how we feel and, and just our life in general. A hundred percent. I mean, we all know, I don't care what your style is, you know what your favorite thing is to wear and you know how you feel when you put it on. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and it, it, it's an actual, it's an actual thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm curious, is there a meaning behind the name Revival? And it has two L's, so that's what makes me think there's there's a meaning. Yeah, I used to say revive all clothing and materials. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah, I I feel like we have already produced enough fabric and textiles and clothing that we could just stop production today and still be able to clothe the population for years to come with what has already been made. I really, um, I, I, I recognize the excess that exists in the fabric industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I know that sometimes there are challenges with working with dead stock or um, pre-used materials, um, but there are also some really cool benefits. I'm curious um, kind of what challenges, but also what like kind of maybe happy accidents or exciting, oh, yeah. exciting creativity has come <laughs> out of using re- or reusing materials. Yeah, I... I heard this this saying once or quote or study, I don't know, um, that one of the reasons that Americans are unhappy as a whole is because we have too many options and too many mm-hmm. choices. And I really feel that. I feel... Like if I had the option to create something in any fabric imaginable or, you know, had access to every single fabric that is available on the planet, I would have a really hard time um, 
making decisions, but I, I find that using dead stock fabric, um, I believe it's kind of a symbiotic relationship. I also believe that my creations aren't really mine. They are kind of ideas that live out in the ether somewhere. And I mean, I, I come from a spiritual approach. I think that it it's, you know, a higher power kind of guiding me into what needs to be made in the world. Um, and it gets really obvious, especially when I'm dead stock fabric shopping, because for instance, I have this vest I've been wanting to make. And um, the sample, I envisioned like a faux shearling lining on the inside. But I just assumed I wouldn't be able to find shearling dead stock and I was going to have to come up with, you know, an alternative funky way to line it. And sure enough, I got to my dead stock place in LA and this whole roll of shearling had just come in and it was just such a cool moment of affirmation. Like, yes, this is exactly what I should be making this fall, you know, and it's just mm-hmm. kind of magical moments like that. Um, but it is really challenging because I have had things that are top sellers and, you know, maybe I could only get 20 yards of that fabric or 40 yards and people love it and it sells out and I can never make that again in that mm-hmm. color way or fabric way. And that that's definitely frustrating sometimes, but also I think it recreates a value of that product. I have a resale page on Facebook and it's really fun to see people saying, oh, does anyone have this dress from, you know, two years ago or you know it it, mm-hmm. it ends up creating more value even when there were less made so I I think that there's blessings in everything um but I guess that's kind of both the exciting part and the frustrating part of it mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I can totally see that And I love how you kind of talked about the having fewer choices actually is sometimes better, easier to make decisions. Because I I see that too. Um, And even just if I'm making clothes for myself, I've always been inspired by the materials and I get the vast majority of the fabric that I make things for myself, like secondhand at thrift stores or um, recycled, you know, dead stock materials. And so I'm always inspired, like, I'll, I'll go and look around and be like, oh, that would make the perfect whatever, you know, based right? on what the material is. Yeah. Yes. And it yeah, almost I... makes me more creative to have those constraints of how can I make this 100%. the most, like, the best or coolest outfit with what I have. 
and I've cut it very close to uh, very often of like literally only scraps left over from the like you know if you have a limited amount of fabric then it's like how can I make this with like I can't get two inches more of this fabric I need to figure right. out how to, like make it fit it's so fun right it's mm -hmm. it's kind of and I believe that whatever we make is exactly what was supposed to be made so if you would have had more fabric and maybe put you know a bigger sleeve on it or something that's not what was supposed to exist in the world and does that make sense mm -hmm. it's, it's like um I kind of use it as a guide it's it's really cool and I'm totally inspired by fabric I mean my last shopping trip I found this fabric and I said oh my gosh I'm I'm gonna make a riding pant well I've never wanted to make a riding pant or thought <laughs> about making a riding pant but this fabric just screamed riding pant to me mm -hmm. you know so I I definitely feel that too it's cool to hear other people have that experience yeah yeah and I think you know, kind of what you're saying there is like you never wanted to make a writing pant, but then it that's what it wanted to be. Exactly. Um, but also like you you know your brand and what's important to you and the lifestyle that your customers live so well that like I bet writing pants is something that like your your customers will use and wear, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so it's like you you can make those decisions quicker because you kind of have that knowledge of your customer and what she's doing and um, where she's wearing these clothes and then letting the fabrics kind of speak to that. Yeah, and there's definitely an internal compass that I check in with because I get excited about fabric sometimes and I'm like, whoa, that's not my brand at all. You know, mm -hmm. like I could imagine myself making this thing, but ultimately, if it's not my customer and not my brand, I'm, I'm not going to make it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about, I know you work with um, a team that helps with sewing and other things. Can you talk a little bit about your team and like, how did you get connected with them? And are they all, I think you mentioned at the beginning, some of them are uh, in your, your town and some are in, in other towns as well. Yeah, I, I love my team so much. They are, I always say I'm not the best sewer. I mean, I, I know what I want things to look like, um, but I, if I make something, it's not going to look as great as a professional seamstress. Um, mm -hmm. And I met Addie and Monica, they're in Eugene. I met them when I lived in Eugene and I had a store there. So they've been sewing for me for probably about 12 years um, yeah. and they are such sweet, kind, lovely people. Addie always says, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So I found them when I lived in Eugene, and they actually sew for a couple other small clothing companies um, in that area, too. So it's cool. They're kind of the the main seamstresses for a few independent companies there. And then I moved to Montana, and I, I had a hard time. They... A huge thing was that I was going to need seamstresses. So I, when I moved here, I thought there would be more because there is a backpack company and there's a fly fishing company. And um, so I thought there would be a lot more seamstresses here. But I ended up going to the quilting shop and asking if they knew anyone and they introduced me to this woman Sid and she's been sewing from home for me for maybe three or four years and it's been really amazing because she was living in town too but she had a couple horses and since we've been working together she ended up finding her she calls it almost a ranch and (laughs) She now has her shop out there on some land with her animals. Um, And so she's maybe 20 minutes from me. And then there's another woman here, Cora. I don't even remember how I met Cora. Um, But yeah, she's another seamstress for me but I had really wanted to get in touch with some Hooterite women and um, the Hooterites are in a lot of ways similar to Mennonites but um, they're different as well and they make their own clothes they they're very very like they are the epitome of sustainable and it's funny to me because I, when I went to visit them, I was thinking all of these Instagram people like are, this is the real deal. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They, they're trying they're like, to be this. Exactly. Um, and I've had a lot of trouble with my manufacturing. I had a place making stuff, making my overalls here um, in Montana and then they went out of business and then I they went I started having them made at a place in Tennessee and then they um, stopped working for me and all throughout this I've been on Instagram you know having my meltdowns and struggling to find manufacturing and through that a woman hooked me up with another woman who then hooked me up with these Hooterite women. And that has been incredible because their seamstress skills are just impeccable. I mean, they get a sewing machine when they get married in that, in their, their colony and in their culture. It's just such a huge part of, of what they do, you know, um, Mm -hmm. And then I recently, and then I I have people working in my shop sewing sometimes, but um, I don't have anybody right now. And then I have a gal that 
actually works for another local business who is next door to me. And um, I kind of poached her. She works um, two hours every day and does all my shipping. And then I have a virtual assistant and a photographer. (laughs) So it's kind of like um, a huge circle and it's kind of hard to keep track of it all sometimes but I everybody is just so great at what they do you know I I really Mm -hmm. think it's important to find people that are better than you at whatever project you're hiring them for Um, Mm -hmm. and then I I did find some manufacturing in LA and I hope that's going well I we're supposed to have overalls next month but I'm a little you know Los Angeles has a lot of sweatshops a lot of people think that that's only um in other countries but they definitely exist in LA and probably New York too so that is my only place I'm having stuff made where I'm not quite sure how I feel about it, but also my overalls are at a stage where I need to have like 300 made at a time. And I, none of my smaller people can do that many. So yeah, that gets to be a lot for like an individual seamstress to sew. Yeah, and I have to cut. So we do all the cutting in house um, for all of the seamstresses in Montana. Um, And then LA and um, Eugene, you know, they cut and sew, which makes it a lot easier because cutting is, as you know, like that's a huge. That takes as long as sewing most of the time, I feel like, unless you're able to, like, cut a whole, you know, six-inch stack of layers at once, but. Yeah, yeah. which we will, we will do, but it's still, I mean, it takes days to cut. I mean, we're probably cutting at least one or two full days a week, and cutting is kind of one of my least favorite things, so. Mm -hmm. um. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's great that you found these seamstresses to work with, and you know, hopefully you'll find the the perfect um, larger you know factory environment that still aligns with what you're looking for for your brand, but is able to do those larger runs. I know, like finding yeah. finding seamstresses or factories is probably the number one challenge that brands I talk to like face like everybody it takes a while to find the perfect fit for the manufacturing side because there there aren't endless options in the U.S. um, to do that. I mean I think in an ideal world I would have a completely vertically integrated company where everything was being made in-house but um, Bozeman Montana is one of the I mean, it's a, it's a very expensive, like the, the cost of living here is 
really high and it it's really it, it really makes you think you know it's um it's sad that the thing keeping me from that is not being able to pay people a high enough wage to live where we live and mm. to keep my stuff at a cost at the cost level that I want to keep it at you know mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely a challenge so could you share a little bit a bit about um maybe kind of what a day in your life looks like you you mentioned that you're doing some cutting too and and you're working on designs and fabric um shopping but yeah what does a day in your life look like um well let's talk about a week because okay (laughs) um the day varies so much um there's usually uh, at least one or two office days where it's uh, social media. I'm trying to create this YouTube channel, so I've been doing a lot of editing for that um, and talking to suppliers and making sure that we have everything we need and going over my production schedule for the 500th time and checking <laughs> numbers Um that that's probably about two days a week. And then there's a day or two, depending on where we are in production, that is cutting and bundling and shipping um, to our seamstresses or delivering to the local places. Um, And then there, I've been doing a lot of sample making and communicating with my pattern maker who I forgot to mention before she's a huge part because I am not a great pattern maker um Mm -hmm. and so kind of you know coming up with new designs or old designs in a new fabric um and then there's you know the email newsletter um I think that's a good kind oh and then there's some things that I'm making so there's Mm. sewing in the week as well and those are my favorite days when I just put on a podcast and get to sew and it's it's become less and less frequent which is which is kind of sad and also the conundrum of having a sewing business you know mm-hmm. the bigger that you get the less time you're you're actually at the sewing machine exactly <laughs> it's funny how that how that always works isn't it like you start because you like yeah. making things and then you get big enough that like you're rarely actually making things yeah and it's um I I think it my desire to sew kind of hindered my business for a while because to be honest, the the time that I spend in the office translates into the sales more so than, the ma- you know, the making mm-hmm. of the thing is important. But if I am going to spend 20 hours a week working on my marketing 
versus sewing, I'm going to see more sales from that, you know? Yeah. But I refused for so long. I was like, no, I don't have time to grow my business because I'm mm. making things and this is what I want to be doing. But honestly, after, you know, almost 15 or 20 years of sewing, it is harder on my body. You know, I have a shoulder thing and it's, mm. it's kind of a catch 22. You know, I love to do it and my body doesn't love to do it as much as it <laughs> used to. Mm-hmm. And I guess finding the balance of like being able to sew and create, you know, when, when you feel inspired to do so, but then not having the business rely on you to make all the product. Yeah. And I, I, I love to tell people, I think it's really important to, uh, to follow your intuition in the sense that if you're inspired to create reels, just do it. Even if you weren't supposed to that day, even if you're supposed to be sewing or doing something else, like focus on where your creativity is leading you and, and ride that wave. Because if, if I'm feeling inspired to create a new product, I, I have to do it then because if I mm-hmm. try to force myself when I'm not inspired, it, it never works out well. So, um, yeah, that's a great I, tip. Yeah, I think for me, I do have, you know, my list of everything that has to get done that week, but I, I let it flow as far as like what get done, gets done on certain days. And I mean, there are days that I do things that I, wish that I didn't have to do but if you're feeling inspired in a particular direction definitely go with that because I think you're gonna have much better results yeah when you're kind of like in the groove to do it and motivated so I have one more question for you that I ask everyone at the end of the interview which is if you could communicate one value to the world through the clothes you design, what would it be? Um, I would say slow down. <laughs> mm. I, I think that if the world slowed down a little bit, I think that we would be in a much better place. I, I think that that comes down to slowing down and listening to your own thoughts and um, struggles and and slowing down with um, really thinking about what you're going to purchase before you purchase it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, slowing down with the food that you eat or shopping in general, just just trying to come from, you know, they call it slow fashion and the slow Mm -hmm. food movement. It's all about, it's all about slowing down and starting to value a different set of ideals and, and kind of stepping away from the consumerist, fast, quick, impatient lifestyle. Yeah. I love that. Learn to, learning to really appreciate 
the little things and the thing and things that we've been taught are little but are are really a huge part of our lives you know what we're wearing what we're eating what we're doing I love Definitely. that well, this has been such a fun conversation, Laura. Um, where can people find out more about you and Revival online? Um, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah. You can find me at Revival Clothing. That's R-E-V-I-V-A-L-L Clothing on Instagram, on Facebook, and RevivalClothing.com. There is a Revival Clothing with one L. That is a medieval clothing company that a lot of people get confused about. So make sure it's two L's. Good to know. I will include the links to all that in the show notes as well so people can click through. Thank Um, you so much. Thanks for joining me today. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Haynes, and I hope you join me again for the next episode of How Fitting.